HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cooking Issues is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, an employee-owned company that has been offering organic stone ground products for decades. Their flours and whole grains are the highest quality and are minimally processed at their stone mill in Oregon. Visit bobsredmill.com to shop their huge range of products. Use the code COOKING25 for 25% off your order. I'm Souther Teague of Amoria Margo and a co-host of The Speakeasy right here on Heritage Radio Network. You know, my favorite thing to do every week is to come here and be on the show. I have lots of jobs. I'm a very busy person. Um, and I do this because I love it. I get to sit down and talk to all my heroes for about an hour every week. It's incredible. And I hope that you enjoy it, making a great effort to share with you. And we'd like you to share back with us. It's our summer fundraiser, and we'd love for you to donate uh, at heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate. You can click on the beating heart, and you can even choose shows that you'd like to donate to specifically. And you can also choose a recurring monthly uh, gift. Uh, and for all that, we'd be greatly appreciative. Thank you so much. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from, I don't know, like 12, 12, 10, to like, you know, like one, like one-ish, one-ish, from a bird's pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. <laughs> not joined, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. She's in an investor meeting, but not in the business that we have together. Her other business, which is apparently more important than you folks out there, so there's that. Uh, we got Dave in the booth. Yeah, take that to the bank. Yeah. How you, how you doing, Dave? <laughs> I'm all right. How about you? All right. How's your, how's your week been, Dave? Yeah, yeah, so far so good, I guess. I think Nastasia said she may come later, and thankfully she will never listen to the back, so she won't hear me talking about her like a dog. That's true. But we do have today uh, in, uh, in, in the studio... A, an interesting guest. We have uh, Joshua Applestone. Hello. Hello. The uh, founder and owner of uh, Applestone Meats and uh, Fleischer's, as in one who cuts up flesh, as in a butcher. Yes, one who cuts up flesh is like a butcher. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Because you, in fact, are a butcher. Yes. Yeah. All right. We also have in the studio with us the chief uh, chief creative officer of Applestone. I'm the COO and then creative director. Creative director. COO. So COO, Chief <laughs> Operating Officer, right? Indeed. What the hell does that mean? It means I do everything that Josh wants to do. <laughs> everything I don't want to do. Yeah. But, okay. But like, so uh, I've always been curious. There's all these like C's and then some O's and stuff. Like, I understand what a CFO does. That's the money person. Not that they have the money. They move the money around, yeah. right? Yes. CEO, basically, 
I guess, does whatever they want to. They're the C- CEO. COO. I don't know, like, do all institutions have a COO? I mean, I know we don't have a C anything of O. We have just, like, you know, Booker and Dax. We've got rippity doo You know what I mean? It's just Nastasia and myself, but... I like to quote one of our employees on this. <clears throat> he gave us an employee feedback review, and he said that Josh was kind of like a wild animal, like energy in the world, and that I was the prism that channeled all of his wild ideas into reality. So in our case, anyway, the COO is the person who just like makes the crazy ideas happen and mm. then oversees everybody else who's also really making it happen. I like that. So and by the way, people, when you're starting a business, you know, you should find people who have the skills you don't. Oh, God. Just yeah. hire. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have made this mistake before. <laughs> you, know? Not, you can't hire all the same personalities. You can't hire all, everyone with the same idea. You need a well-diverse staff. Yeah. And then also in the booth, we have uh, Rebecca, who I've worked, worked with uh, years past at uh, Momofuku. How are you doing, Rebecca? I'm good. How yeah? are you? So what's your, what's, the, what's your official story right now? Uh, I am working with these fine folks and with you. Nice, yes. But so you're, not, you're officially not involved with the, the Momofuku anymore, or you are? I, I left Momofuku in May, May, although they will always be family. I can never tell what's official and what's not, because what happens is people... First of all, I can't even keep my own name straight or like, you know, birthdays in my family. So people, as, as soon as someone says, don't say anything, for me, that's like forever. <laughs> so like Rebecca tells me like, you know, don't say anything because I'm going to do something on my own maybe. And so for me, that's a forever. Don't it say is, that forever. It is for forever, Dave. You're breaking that right you now. You blew it, Dave. <laughs> all right. So listen, people, you're going to want to call in your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128 because if you didn't know it, the one of the really cool things about Apple Stone uh, meats, 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 is uh, that I didn't know whether it was meats or meat company. It's meats? meat company. It's the meat, meat company. We have meats. <laughs> right, but it's the Apple Stone <laughs> Meat Company. Yes, the official right. name. Yes. Yeah, Apple Stone Meat Company. So the cool thing about this, and you know, I, I'm actually pretty curious to talk to you guys about what the, the the impetus for it and kind of what the positives and negatives are. Uh, the idea here is that you have this uh, you you have this desire to sell uh, very high quality, well raised, well butchered meats, right? Yes. And then you have a group of people that wants to buy that, but uh, they might want to buy that at a time in which you don't feel it convenient to sell it to them. We the idea of a brick and mortar being open on a traditional nine to five doesn't fit everyone's everyone's schedule and to play with the hours of availability is almost not fair so we are 24 7 and seven days a week and so just to say it because i haven't said it yet these guys put their meat in vending machines now for those of you i know this is a this is a podcast so you can't see what i'm talking about so i'm going to help you picture what kind of vending machine we're not talking about like a, a soda vending machine where you just see a picture of the soda. We're talking about, and no one's going to remember this because, I don't know, because no one out there is old enough, but they used to have these vending machines for sandwiches in like 1970s and early 80s Still like cafeteria. Do. Really? Yes, because that's the machines we use currently. Yeah, well, I saw the picture of it, but yeah. I didn't know. I thought maybe you refurbed old ones. I didn't know they still made them. When we started this years ago, we couldn't find those machines that uh, accepted credit cards because uh, those type of machines were only used in institutional use that worked off of debited accounts. So we had to not only take what we needed 
uh, with existing technology, we had to turn it to what we needed to do to see if it would work. Because, you know, we've been doing this for four years. We started with the idea of how this would be great if we could do this to how can we, how can we do this and to uh, now we're into designing and patenting our own machines because what's available now still is not, what we need is not readily available now in the marketplace. So you're because, still customizing constantly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a faceless transaction. Although we have someone there, the hours are 11 to 6, I believe, seven days a week. So you can always talk to someone if you have questions or any issues that might pop up. There's always someone there to talk to in a, a decent window of time every day. But to have a faceless transaction, to have a transaction that you become a brand that's trusted because you know no matter what you get out of the machine, you're, gonna, right. you're good to go. Right has been a process and a study and um, from my previous company working that for 10 years and being in the food industry forever, seeing what we're doing now, although it doesn't seem like such a big deal, has really been amazing because where we started at, where people thought, no, we're every kind of company, basically two people think we're crazy to start it. When we started and people give me the look, like, you know, how could that be? And buying something, just like I said, buying something out of the vending machine, we're going towards the idea of not concentrating about buying out of a vending machine, but having a sales experience or a, or a retail sales experience not only was quick and efficient, but it was on their schedule, which is right. really crazy. I mean, no, it's crazy. It's awesome. I mean, who, like, the hell, I mean, who the hell wants meat at 10 p.m.? And, of course, we were just at an engineer's office recently, and this woman came up to us. She's like, I got to tell you, I have diabetes. You've saved my life because I get out of the gym at 9 p.m. I need to go home. There's nothing open upstate, and now I can get fresh meat from you or sometimes it gets frozen or whatever it is, and... She's good to go. She has exactly the balanced meal she needs when she needs it. And we have firemen, fire people. We have people commuting. It's just... People don't all work the same hours. It's, some, it's same such an old concept that, you, that well, you should only be open 9 to 5 or under. And anyone out there in retail understands the cost involved with running a brick and mortar to, ch- to have these sales in a certain window... It, it, it's evolved. Well, also, like like everyone in the country, especially especially everyone in the you know who's not living in uh, you know who's living kind of in the suburbs has become accustomed to twenty four seven major big grocery. And so, basically, what happens is is if they want food outside of what you're saying, like that nine to five uh, hour range, um, they are they're buying supermarket product. The people, what we've seen with Amazon and other more convenient platforms for selling to direct-to-consumer sales, people, in a way, will sacrifice quality for convenience. And it's almost a punishment that if you you want to be able to get this at any time, you're only going to have this many uh, products to pick from. It's, it's a common problem where even people don't have enough selection. They don't have enough choice, and things are getting more and more expensive. How do you get more for your dollar without losing money or how can you give a consumer more 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 convenience more quality for the same amount of money without having to cut prices and to us it was about the time that people have access to it right well i think also there's like a you know i mean obviously this is not like anything new but there's a there's a, a much uh, a fast growing segment of the population with enough money to buy decent quality products but not so much money that they're completely price insensitive and no one is price insensitive. Right. I don't believe that. Right. And, but so like to be able to, you know, not have to deal with like the loss and the problems of distributing to, let's say, a local supermarket that's open 24-7, you know, I think that group of people, like, you know, I'm one of those people, we also like thinking that the person that we're, 
buying from, even if we don't get to see you in person, somehow gets to lead a decent life. You know what I mean? It, it goes beyond that where I think it's, it's not only do you want your butcher, your convenience person to have a normal life. You want to see them at ball games. You want to see them out in a weekend, not behind a counter. But people really want to believe that they're supporting a local ecosystem. Even if, if you had a super, if you had a small mom pop bodega that doesn't have anything local, people still believe, and they are, they're supporting a local economy, even though the products don't come from New York City or Brooklyn or wherever it is, that there is different ideas of local, there's different ideas of locale that supporting a small business is literally doing that, a local economy, a, uh, and it's important. It's that the 24-7 was such a gift in a way to consumers that we didn't realize because it was one of the final things, final hurdles people had, that to buy meat out of a machine is a big deal, but really to be able to buy it anytime you want at a high quality. We, I was just talking about where I was at the store and these guys are talking, one guy's a weightlifter and the other one's a, some big MMA star and talking about how they constantly go to our place you know, late at night because they work out, it's an easier thing. And you realize that people need clean food everywhere. They need a safe zone everywhere. That We hear about food deserts, we hear about um, just shops being too expensive or just not, you know, not carrying the quality. It's very hard to appease everyone. But when you start picking and choosing your battles really carefully and focusing the store on that, it seems to work. Like, you know, right now we just do meat. We're trying to stay with that. To do other groceries, to me, kind of takes away from the purpose of what we're doing. But there's still items. I mean, it's like milk. Where we have our first store, which is Stone Ridge up in the Hudson Valley, and really the whole place closes down at 10 p.m., you know, you have to feed your – you forget about picking up dog food late at night. You have – you need milk for the morning. There's just something really convenient about a model like this that doesn't tax you between the, the quality and the price. Right. It just well, seems the, to work. The thing about meat, though, is that, I mean, almost anybody, meat is still, even with the absurd relative cheapness of meat these days in supermarkets, meat is still seen as kind of like the big buy of the day. You know what I mean? Check this out. When we, we go to Vegas every year to go to the venting shows because we're always looking for new te- technology, which is why we're doing our own machines because there's just nothing out there. That we were at one last year and these guys sell like $3,000 computers and like, yeah, we can sell this many computers no problem a day. It's no big deal at all. But if someone's going to buy a $6 pack of ground meat, you got to really think about that. And we realized that we were really onto something because – just with my background and my ease with this type of product, I know it better than anything, that it's easy for me to sell this. And it's, it's not easy for me to sell it faceless, but it's just shorter of a gap for me to make that, for pe- to get people to understand. Because people are so used to buying computers. They're so used to these things. And it's, I think one of the reasons it hasn't been done is because there has not been a name out there that's so trusted with such a particular type of safe zone. Right, right. And that's why... And, you know, it just sounds so stupid, but the 24-7 is what really was like, think, because we, we realized that, like, you know, it, success, not everyone successful working tons of hours is making tons of money, but there's, like, a little theme here. You realize, like, oh, everyone's working tons of hours. No one has any time. <laughs> Tell me about it. I know. Well, even <laughs> myself. Yeah, no, but that's what it is. And, you know, it's funny. With our staff, we work five days a week. We work Monday to Friday, and we start seven. They are off by three. And one of the things that they, you know, people would come to me, our employees would be like, wow, oh, it's really amazing to have off on the weekends. I've never, literally never in 20 years had off on weekends. I've always worked at restaurants. And you realize that it satisfies the front of the house because we have a convenience, we have a product, and we have a locations that you know, we're working on that people are, are very willing to try it out. And on the back end with our employees that 
we can pay them a little bit more. We can give them more time off. And just like I said, it's like it's all of a sudden you realize that it brings more of a human factor to everything. Man. When we came up with this originally, my whole thing for talking to the butchers was that you can now close your slowest day and just have this machine packed and you don't have to even worry about being open. You're only going to do a certain amount anyway. You know that you sell these things to these regulars and all of a sudden having a day off. It's like having a real day off, especially when you have a kid. That's, that's a big deal. Yeah, and now, okay, so a couple of things about the experience and a couple of questions. So when Rebecca first told me, hey, you know, Meet vending machine. I'm like, meet what vending. the hell would anyone well, do that? Meet vending yeah, machine. Sure, but uh, I have to say, like, you have to Google. You have to Google it uh, and look at the look at the the vending machine, and you can see right away that I am one of those people that I must see the thing I am buying. This is why I, I know I'm a complete luddite, strangely, because I'm known for kind of technical cooking stuff. But I don't use delivery services for my groceries because I like to see the food that I'm going to buy. Even if I go to my local fine fare, you know, garbage supermarket, I like to pick out my produce. I like to pick out the products I'm going to use. Specific cuts, specific pieces. I want that piece because I'm going to cook it a particular way. And this, the vending machine, it's like a stack of carousels. So you have like a column with carousels on it. Eight rows. Yeah, eight rows. And you can see, and I don't know how many, how many, in each segments in each it depends uh, on the size yeah. of the, of the uh, pocket but, if you would but enough a so, lot and you can rotate through and you can pick exactly the thing you want you're not like pushing a button and like you know you know like in a vending machine because this, this is what I was thinking you're buying uh, like uh, those Ritz crackers even though they have salmonella now the uh, Ritz sandwich crackers and there's that screw thing and the one that's in the front is mangled, but the one that's in the back is nice. And you're like, ah, I want the Ritz cracker, but I don't want the mangled one. I want the one behind it. In this situation, you get to choose exactly which one you want, right? You get to choose your piece of meat. Like, you can choose whichever column you want. No? Yes. This is, this is, yeah, yes. <laughs> but it's a whole long conversation. I'm sure Sam's giving me the look. Don't get in. It, it, having a convenient shopping experience with a, as guarantee as you can, perfect product, there are compromises. And the new machines we're developing, that, the thing that you just said, the reason I pick these machines now that we use currently for the past two and a half years is because you can rotate them to see different stakes and it'll be different prices. But when you really, so you haven't been there, so when you look at it, you can't really see them, though. You can see them. But you can't see them the way what you just said. And you're the type of person when you walk into a butcher shop saying, can you take that tray out? I, w- I want to see that one third in the back. Or second. And that's fine. That type of customer with the new machines might not be as satisfied now, but I'm betting that it works out anyway. And we did this on purpose because the way vending machines are built today, you can't make it as displayable as you would in a butcher shop. With the for safety for for food safety reasons or it's not food safety reasons it's packaging reasons it's integrity of the product reasons it's the setting up of the machine reasons and for you for one to have to literally mimic a butcher shop a hundred percent it can be done it most likely would make the same amount of profit margins that a modern butcher shop does which are small right. and I can I interject though. Hey, this is, a, sure. this is a show. You can say whatever you like, Rebecca. <laughs> um, however, you do have someone there. And one of the things right. that I like about the store is, say you do want to see exactly what you want to pick out, 
they can go pull and you can look at a variety of pieces. Which they do. You know, so I think it... The and the new I, machines will do the same thing, yeah. except it does it in a different way. And the reason I say it is because I'm a butcher and because my entire background is in, I want to see that third steak in the back. Yeah. That that's you, the way I live. But there's a way, there's a, there's a percent, when you walk <laughs> into a store. Third in the back. Right. Well, that's, I gotta tell you, you're saying this, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what you are. The, <laughs> when you walk into a butcher shop, you expect certain sounds, feet, smells, feeling of the air. The reason that you feel so empowered to say I want the third in the back is because this is a routine that you've been trained to accept and know that you know your limitations with and this is what it is. And also Dave Arnold is Dave Arnold. (laughs) I'm not going to say that. (laughs) So the situation of someone walking into a shop like ours with new machines and saying, I want to feed three people, I want to do three bone-in steaks, the machine will show them a series of steaks to pick from. Just like you want. So it provides guidance, the new thing. Guidance, uh, the, the sizes, the pricing of each one, the whole Michigas, how thick it would be with a ruler next to it. But that's but, not yet. That's no, that's the new, there's no, right now you can see them, but I'm talking about like the way, the way the future is going, the way I can see it, the way I can see um, pricing staying lower, accessibility getting better and better and quality staying there without being taxed on price that we have to be retrained how we look at things. And the same way when, we, when you said, people come and they buy a machine, they're so thrilled and it's done. My next generation of machines, I hope people not to think about buying out of machine rather than saying, that was the coolest fucking experience I ever had. I just bought this stuff. And by the way, everything I got there was amazing. Like every time I go there, it, I, you know, I, want the same, I want the same size flat iron. I get it every time. I want the same ground beef. It tastes the same, has the same mouthfeel. And that's what people are really looking for. They're looking for a consistent, steady product they know is good for them that's not going to kill them in the pocket. Isn't that, uh, but isn't, I mean, a consistency is always when you're dealing with kind of like higher end meats is the hardest thing to achieve in general, whether you're in a butcher I don't think shop so. or, I mean, for in the market in here in New York, like it, it, it's so variable because the supplies aren't as consistent. I don't think so. Really? Yeah, I swear to God. Nice. Uh, it's just it's, it's a matter of um, how one conducts their business. Not that one's better or worse. It's just that I know that what I have done throughout time. I know what I who I work with. I it's just what I do. So my my job is sourcing and execution. And uh, the we're just talking about. I was talking about these guys. I was talking to you yesterday about the idea of how being a butcher is such an art because there really is like you know muscles are different. You have to trim them a certain way. You know, going back to the idea of the faceless transaction, it's really important for us to have consistency. It's really important for us to have knowing that someone's going to buy something out of the machine. Although there's someone there, you can always kibitz with. You can, if you buy something you don't like it, you can turn around, and return it, and like, you know, exchange it. You want more selection. It's you know, we're customer service. We're there to help. But there's there's a, there's an hours for that, and the rest is just come freely and do what you want or do what you can. So do you still get to have? Do you, I mean, like, do you miss or do you still get? I guess that kind of customer. Back when I had a. Back when I was a real human being, like I used to like when every that? yeah I question that it was like you know oh like sixteen seventeen years ago when I was a real human and I had a butcher his name was Michael and right. I would visit Michael and we would spend like a half hour together and you know he would be like I can get you the illegal lungs Dave and then like you know what I mean and we talk about his family and he'd get married and I'd buy him a bottle of wine for his marriage and. You know what I mean? Stuff like this. That definitely still happens. We it's, it's, we have shift reports, two two shift reports a day. Where including in these shift reports that Sam's actually set up, that we have communication with customers and special things that happen, any bad things, and we still have the same feeling that we've always had uh, with what our company I'm doing. We 
still we, we're really big on community. We're looking at community cookbooks. We're constantly talking to our customers. The, the social interaction with people is still there. It's what really blows our mind is how many people do not want to talk to anyone. And they come there late at night. And it's not just people commuting up. It's literally just people like, look, I just want to get in and out and be done. One of my favorite stories is like at 2 a.m., someone's in there trying to use the machines. And um, it's not working. There's one other person. 2 a.m., there's another person. There's some dude there. And the guy looks over to his right, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, I'll show you what's up. He shows him how to do it. And the guy's like, thanks a lot. And he looks at him and goes, thanks a lot. And he's like, that was Daniel Craig. James Bond literally just showed really? me how to. But it was just interesting. How many? No, 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 just people traveling through. But the way we see things is that every single person out there needs to shop when they do and when they want to. And the idea that this is hitting anywhere from a fireman to someone famous to a teacher says that we're on the right path. You know, what the biggest question I had from people when we started was like, now who, who actually shops there? And it was one of those days where I walk in and my, my eight-year-old son at the time was talking to some people probably in their 70s on how to use the machine. And, you know, it was one of those clicking moments going, wow, there's really no method to the madness, just that everyone out there needs clean food. How do we get it to them? And how do we make it as easy as possible? We don't think we're going to get everyone. But what's really funny is that even the person who wants to pick the third steak in the back is going to use that place at least once a week because it's convenient. Right. You know, it's, it, not everyone wants a $30 bone and steak. Some people just need a pack of ground beef. Right. So we have, a, we have a caller we're going to take, but then when I get back, I want to know what cut of meat Daniel Craig bought. Caller. I don't remember. You're, oh, you don't remember? Come on, yeah. man. I'll be like, he bought what? Anyway, uh, yeah. caller, you're on the air. Hi, Dave. This is uh, Jeff Given from Costa Mesa. I met, met you in the bar last night. We were talking about patents. Yeah, hey, how you doing? How's it? Yeah, so you had a question about patents. And he's working, I can say this because he said it on the air before, in the realm of sinks and foot pedals. Do you use foot pedals at the butcher shop ever? Foot pedals on sinks. We yeah. use knee pedals. Knee pedals, yeah. Knee pedals, yeah, we don't, we knee pedals are very convenient because they mix the temperature well, right? The you, foot pedals get too schmutzy. Oh, in the butcher shop? Anyway, go ahead. What's up? Yeah, so um, you also, we walked over to the, you had a bunch of waffles soaking uh, yes. in rum. And you mentioned something about um, needing to separate, the, separate out the starch. And it reminded me that I have at home a quart container of strawberry juice that I couldn't get to, to clarify in the spinzol. And huh. I wondered if I warmed it up too much in the Vita prep. if you've ever had a problem with that where, I don't know if there's some kind of like methylesterase potato situation where it's like setting the pectins too hard with it and they can't, they can't break down from the enzyme. I have never had that happen with strawberries. What can happen with strawberries is... Um, if they don't, if you don't get the solids to clump hard enough, I understand what you're saying. That you think you're functionalizing the pectin such that they don't drop out or don't get killed by the enzyme. Just, yeah, I, I just wondered if that. I would do a little redose of enzyme again, like maybe okay. the strawberries are a little tartar than they were before, and um, right around the pH range of strawberries, the um, you need to up the uh, enzyme load on the uh, SPL to get it to clarify properly. Okay. So you could try hitting it with a little more SPL. You were using wine finding agents or no? Um, I did all of it, yeah. Yeah. You can well, also... I started with just, the pack, with just the enzyme and then went with the Kiesel Capstan. Right. So if you're doing, like, Kieselsol, a.k.a. D1, right, and then uh, Kytosan, and then Kieselsol again, if it doesn't flock hard enough, you can just hit it again with whatever the opposite of the last one you hit is. So if you did D1, oh, yeah. D2, D1, you can go back to a little bit of D2. I've never done it more than like one more like addition of D1, D2, one and then back. with a little extra enzyme, and that should drop out. But a good idea, <clears throat> as that stuff sits in the fridge overnight, 
should clump harder and you should see like some cloudy stuff at the bottom of your juice and that stuff will spin spin right out. Yeah, I've got that. And so now it's been in there for a long time, so then I'm wondering if I should just turn it into strawberry drink and what what you would actually do for that process. Oh, to, well, to strawberry strawberry fresh strawberry is going to have a bricks anywhere between 8 and 9 and change depending unless okay. you have some preposterously sweet, sweet strawberries out there no. so if, if you want to uh, and it's very tart so i used to use this uh product when i was teaching called genemic acid that would erase people's sense of sweet and if you remove the sugar from a strawberry it is a freaking acid bomb it's just really really really, really sour Cheers. so i wouldn't do could i dose back in some simple or something after Oh, you could. You could ferment it dry and then hit it with sugar to bring to bring it back. But I would say you're going to want to add some sugar anyway to take it up. I would take it up to like like 15, 16 15. Uh, bricks to ferment it dry, and then it's going to be really acidic. So you're either going to want to cut it with something, or uh, yeah, I guess you could you know turn it to an off dry to do it. But the the acidity level of those strawberries is going to be typically quite high. And, okay. And strawberry on its own without sugar, because when I ferment stuff. I, in general, prefer to drink dry fermented things like yeah. beers and wines, dry. And so, like, yeah, I did some dry mead earlier with uh, a bunch of wild honey and some friends' wild grapes. And how was it? Got it as dry as I could. It was delicious. Yeah. So, and like, I, did, I like, I like dry, but just like beware. I think that's the problem with like a lot of craft ciders and craft fermented stuff in the U.S. these days is that they, you know, don't take into account how acidic things become when they're fermented dry. And okay. hence they always, yeah. like, you know, kill the process when they're still sweet. But let us know how it works out. All right. Will do. Thank you. And good luck with your patents. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. We should take a quick break. All right. We'll take a quick break. Come back with more cooking issues. Hey, Nastasi. It's time for our Bob's Red Mill moment, where we put your cooking improvisational skills to the test. This week's secret ingredient is... Lentils. Nastasia, tell us what you'd make. I would make lentils with uh, cotechino or what was the other one? Zampone. Uh, like they do in Italy for New Year's and, and wh- serve it up. Why lentils? Because they cook super quick. No, lentils for New Year's because lentils is the equivalent of money. Oh, yeah. They shape like little coins. Yes. And they cook fairly quickly because they're so thin you don't need to soak them very much. They cook very quickly. It's easy to cook lentils in a very fast manner. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Bob's Red Mill for supporting cooking issues. Visit bobsredmill.com to shop their huge range of products. Use the code COOKING25 for 25% off your order. That's cooking, no space, the number two, the number five. And we are back. Talking to... Joshua from Applestone Meat Corporation. App, what is it? What is it really? Apple, what is it really? I can't Applestone remember. Meat Company. Applestone Meat Company. I can never get the names of anything right, even my own company. It's crazy. Applestone like, Meat Corporation I sounds like really bad. I wanted to make it sound like really like horrible Simpsons ass. Yeah. <laughs> Amalgamated conglomerated meats. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah, conglomerated is like is like right up there with congealed is a bad thing when you talk about meats. The meat is congealed. And no one wants to hear that. And yeah, yeah. Uh, New business idea. So is yeah. a uh, oh, don't get me started. Is the now here's another thing I had question. So you said you're moving to new machines. Is it because you one of the things because you want to increase like the density of product you can store in the in the machines? Is it that you can't get enough product into your current machines? That's one of the reasons. 
Yeah, I mean, like, because you're limited by. By the way, I don't know if you know this. We had to. We have uh, at my bar. Uh, we have some old Coca-Cola vending machines that oh, we've I've modified. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we have legal problems because, like, people are like, you should put these other places, and I'm, I'm like, actually working on that too. I'm like. It's illegal for me to do that. I don't have the proper license to do that. It's interesting. Yeah, we can. That's another radio show. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, specifically in New York State, you know. Liquor laws are tough. Yeah, they're tough. And so, you know, you, you know, we have a license to sell on premise. We are specifically not allowed to sell off premise. So we, in our vending machines, people are like, hey. Are you allowed to do that? And I'm like, I couldn't hear you. I couldn't hear what you said. I couldn't hear your question. <laughs> uh, but the uh, like, we're very, very careful. Um, Catering license. Yeah. Well, we're super careful. Like, we make sure that everybody who takes one opens it, right? Like, right. They right can't yes. Take it home. Like, yes. Like Jersey hat. You can buy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, like, different. as long as we know that it's opened, like, it's it's kosher, right? right. And the other thing is that. Because it's on premise and it's illegal to overserve, we only sell token by token to people. Not like, hey, can I buy a sack of tokens? And you're like, and you're <laughs> like, like, no. The, machine, the champagne machine is yeah. the same way. You have to buy tokens. But yeah. Dave, what if someone comes in every day and they buy one token and they don't use it immediately? Cash like, why, why are you messing with my business? <laughs> why are you messing with my business for? I think you started it. Tonight's the night. Yeah, but like <laughs> entire show of payback from. I mean, obviously, obviously, from a business standpoint, if someone wants kid, to buy a token as a, uh, if someone wants to buy a token as a uh, keepsake. Um, a keepsake, man, that's a win. Like a like a, like a fifty cent token. Gift certificates, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know what money. I mean. Win, win, win. But uh, the but win, you know win, win. the thing is also is that like they our vending machines are completely monitored. Right. Like there's always a host within ten feet of that, it's and then the like bartender three. at the point of the bar can look over and see what's going on. So is our last call on the machine too? Uh, same. So like, like, well, if you buy a token, like you, we, you are not allowed to pull a drink out of that machine after our license is up. Right. So like technically if like on a Monday we close at, you know, our liquor license is till midnight. So as long as they pull that bottle out of the machine before midnight, we're not, we probably won't sell them a token after like 1150, but if they want to pull the bottle out. Like, if, if it gets past midnight, I'll just refund them their money. Yeah. You know, because, like, if they want to take the token with them, mazel tov. But if they're like, I want the, the well, I'm like, you know what? Here's your money back, you know, with my, you know, my like, blessings. Come, you come again. You guys are still using customer interaction to sell the token, so it's the same thing. Like, you just tell them, so, you know, this, it, is, it, yeah, in this a, is the cutoff. In a bar, right, I mean, the thing about a bar is, like, a bar, I guess, like a butcher, is, it, you know, people go there for different reasons. Some people, they want to sit at a table, be left alone, and just have the drinks. Some people, they want to sit at the bar, they want to have an interaction with a the bartender. They're, and the same customer could feel, you know, like, different on different days. One day I might want to be at the bar, one day I might want to be left alone. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, it's exactly how the company runs. We yeah. see that. We see people who, like, will walk past us... Nine out of ten times, and then one out of ten times, they just want to chat. You know, we have super narrative focus shift reports. We've taught our staff to really talk about like people patterns and things about people in their shift reports, so that everybody who's working has an idea of the actual human element, rather than just like the logistics of it. So, like, we I know certain people by name who I've never even met before because I'm not working retail, but I know that like Art always buys this on this day. Right, <laughs> like, the reports say. You know, 
And you're like, Art. Hello, Art. And did you get worried? You're like, oh, my God, we ran out of brisket and Art's going to come. They literally say that. That would be like, yeah, yeah we have our regulars. Just like any shop, yeah. you have people regular. Some people, like, like, we'll it, know if they had a baby. They'll be like, oh, yes. so-and-so came in with so-and-so and they finally had their baby. You know, like, right. So we're in the loop on the narrative of our customers even when we're not there. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, for us, the vending machine was, A, we could do it. B, we, we you know, my last bar had a bottled cocktail program which is amazing thank you they're so good and then have you seen the old machines that did that the which one the old machines that were cocktail mixing machines no that sounds cool like actually from back in the day yeah I tr- I've just it sounds like I just travel a lot and I can't remember where the hell I was it could have been Denver but it's not in operation anymore but they just use it as a come in and take a look maybe it was Chicago but they work like the old coffee machines used to where you're like you I want milk and see cream 20 above. bottles upside down you pick like you know a martini whatever and if you want like a gin martini, you pull the gin thing and then pit the martini. It's like an old computer where um, it was like you punch out certain holes in a card and you feed the card to the old Univac work. That How same could way. that not have been Vegas? It just sounds like Vegas. It could it have been. Like it it, called it the, could, Vegas it, machine. the reason I know it could have been, but the reason I don't think it was Vegas is because everywhere we went in Vegas is always like, la, 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 and this one was not. <laughs> right, it was right, really right. mellow. I was like, oh, this is not So you're like, it was more like Reno. Uh, but like the, uh, <laughs> so like the, but the, thing with, City. the thing yeah. with the vending machine for us was is that we're look like the real bartenders barbacks and prep people who are making the cocktails for you in the real life are making the cocktails that are in the vending machine so they, our hands are still there you know what I mean it's the same exactly. thing with us just yeah. people just sometimes people don't want to talk to you they don't want to say I want the third one in the back they just want to get it and split and it was one of those it was just one of those moments where, like you know when we the reason this whole thing came about is that when I started the company you know, I begged Sam to come aboard, and it was just she and I. I'm in the back cutting, and she's handling the front, trying to figure how we want to structure the company and what we're doing. And, you know, I'm constantly being stopped at what I'm doing, come to the front, talk to someone, sell no thing. And it just, it was one of those moments, where, like, wow, we're never going to get anything done. And we started with a machine, and it was it was crazy. It, you got to understand, like, when we started versus where we are now, that the acceptance factor is just worlds away, that, you know, how, how could anyone want to do that to people are... De- not demanding, but they really love to see us in every single town they're in, that there's a lot of areas that need clean, good, safe zones that don't have anything. And it's it's interesting. We're trying to keep up with it. All right, so your first meeting with Market and Ag, after you started it was vending. USDA first. But really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the were they like, what? The, the vending no. machines are under the health department. Yeah, that's... that's Wait, so what, you, it, you it was deal like with this. Markets, Ag, DOH, and USDA? Yeah. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. It's that's not, well, you know... To be very honest, we run a really, really yeah, tight clean shop. Ne- yeah, they love it. But they anytime, love any, but anytime you do something different, we don't. So the vending machine is like there's there's previous models for this that they understand. In other words, you can no, point to something and say they don't. They just want to know temperature yeah. and times and uh, monitoring. That's what they're concerned with. Because really? I know in the restaurant, like we have this new machine that makes ice that we're that someone else is making for us. Uh, he's yeah. made, he made one, and we're, we have one of the first protos. Uh-huh. And the, our code compliance said, person came in and says, "I don't understand this. This makes me nervous." What they don't understand, what makes them nervous, is that it doesn't. They need you need to show how cold we keep the ice twenty four hours a day. So also, and, it's water, so they're probably going to want to know about your water. Well, and all that. No, uh, like ice so machines. Ice machines, as you, as you know, ice machines have biofilm problems. Yes. So when people are when people think it's an ice machine. They think that there's all these internals that can't be cleaned, and so they're deadly worried about biofilms and stuff building up in ice machines. Yes. So I told the developer, the guy who's making it, I was like, uh, you're not selling an ice machine. You're selling a chest freezer and ice cube trays. He's like, what? I'm like, trust me. <laughs> you're not selling an ice machine because if you sell an ice machine, 
that's going to trigger a bunch of bells in this person's head. If it's just a freezer, that's a different set of bells you're triggering. You know what I mean? They're not that's thinking biofilms anymore. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's it that simple. We don't know yet. We're waiting, actually, for our first inspection before we fire the machine up again, and we're Who back to buying it? ice. Uh, the, D- the DOH yeah, right. is like a random inspector. That's the thing. The ra- like a random inspector comes you at need DOH. To hire, you need to hire someone who specializes in HACCP plans or something like that that can create a... I can do it. <laughs> besides yeah, well, again, besides it, you know, Sam that can guys, do it. It, it literally also, is. Dave was helping with that stuff for a long time. Oh, back in the day? But that's when Christina Tozzi took it over. You know. Before Christina Tozzi became super yeah. famous, mm-hmm. Christina Tozzi was writing all the HACCP plans for all the... Sh- By the way, people, I want you to know this. I'm extremely angered. The city of New York has started cracking down on people for using the Ziploc technique, the zippy technique in their restaurants because they're like, well, you're excluding the oxygen. Jerks! Plastic wrap is also excluding the oxygen. People, you can't win in this freaking world. Someone will try to poop on your parade no matter what you do. You're just trying to make good stuff and people will try to get you. It's already ROP. You're already doing ROP. What are they well, no, about so like, being- Okay, so like for years, like... Like, here's what happened. Here's what happened. I'll give you a brief rundown. Brief, brief rundown of uh, sous vide and reduced oxygen packaging in New York City. So somewhere in the range of, I can't even remember anymore, like 2006, something like this, uh, Dave Chang opens a Momofuku Noodle Bar. I didn't know him yet. I met him. I met him at the Right, I was about to say, it's when we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2000, okay, so it was 2005. <laughs> When they got hit, right? So I was yeah. I had just started at French Culinary Institute, 2005. I'm working on the curriculum for teaching low temperature sous vide cooking, and country uh, got nailed too. Well, it, yeah, well, country they were the number two got nailed. So what happened yeah, is is there. that I was you know I was there. So I like that's how I met Dave Chang was when he got hit. So the health department comes in, freaks out, yeah. says, "What the hell are you doing?" Cuts yeah. op- makes him cut open Everything. all of his bags and sure. pour bleach on his food and throw it away. Yep. He calls me. He's like, "What the hell is going on?" And like everyone's, you know, freaking out over it. Um, and so immediately, because no one at that time, Christina Tozzi, I believe, wrote the first HACCP plan that was used in New York for uh, WD50 because WD it was WD50 Country right. um, Noodle Bar. Afterwards, uh, David Boulet had a, a, a summit, if you will, that I went to where they invited Georges Pralou, who's a famous guy. Uh, sous vide guy uh, Bruno Gousseau came with his crew Gerard Bertillon Bruno Bertin all the guys from Cuisine Solutions came and a range of chefs who were using this technique came and the health department came and then they hit all of the places that, that were there yeah. so like per se yeah. got hit yeah. like all got hit and no one understood and the, 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 the shakedown was that everyone had to have a HACCP plan and we were fighting very hard for look look you don't want to no like you don't understand what you're asking for when you're asking for a real HACCP plan because a real HACCP plan is item by item I was like you need procedure based HACCP plans you know like we are going to cook a meat here is how we do it with the logs and everything which is eventually kind of the, the way it went um, but in the meantime I was like whoa 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 let's everyone figure out ways that we can do things without the vacuum machine so that we can still get all the benefits of low temperature cooking without the hassle of having to deal with a HACCP and without freaking out the the, the health department this is why I told Philip Pre- this is why I got mad sous vide supreme the home thing came out that like water bath that came out years ago and I was like I wish they hadn't called it sous vide supreme because now like it's going to give me more of a headache because people are 
keep attaching sous vide, the vacuum, the stuff that the health department's mad at, with the cooking technique, which is all about temperature control. It's different. Then Philip Preston from PolyScience came out with his, uh, you know, you know, eight hundred dollar um, immersion circulator and called it sous vide professional. I was like, do you have to, Philip? Do you have to? <laughs> and so I lost this battle, and everything. Call, everyone calls it sous vide. It's whatever. But we were working very hard on trying to use techniques that were not sous vide to cook things like protein. So we were doing oil baths, circulated oil baths. We were doing, uh, you know, brats in circulated beer, blah, 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 blah. And one of our main things to get around this was using Ziplocs and then um, plastic wrap rolled in tubes, right? So now health department, people have been wrapping meats in, in, uh, in wraps since, you know, forever, no one gets mad. And The way Wiley did those boneless chickens, those little chickens. Yeah, know. those are the cannonball techniques. Yes. So, like, when you're using plastic wrap, there's, like, two, there's several, but the two basic techniques are the cannonball technique, as seen in WD-50's chicken thing, where you That's put amazing. the chicken into a thing, into plastic wrap, you go twist, 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 you tie off the thing, and you have a cannonball, basically, that you, well, you know, a little you one. You bone out a chicken all the way, you, you wrap the dark meat with white meat, and then you make it into a really tight ball, and what happens is when he poaches it, you slice it, it looks like a breath saver where it's like this perfect little brown center and like the white and the outside. Yeah, it's nice. It's actually beautiful. When they... And then the other way is you do it in tubes. So you lay everything out flat, you transglutaminase, you meat glue that sucker, you roll it up. Yes. You, you, know, you don't have to have the meat glue because meat will self-set, but the meat glue makes it a nice of when you it's slice. Got, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, we, we do this. And so then our code consultant said, and he blamed, literally he said, it's the hipsters in Brooklyn what done it. Because the health department saw a bunch of restaurants using the zippy technique, Ziploc technique, where you, you, know, you put the meat along with some oil in a Ziploc bag, you put it in water, it pushes away most of the extra air, and you do it. And so and I was like, the oil I, evenly distributes the heat. Is that why? Well, the oil takes up the slack in the bag. So right. you know, like if you if you just do uh, meat in a bag and you put it under water, the water doesn't have enough pressure to force itself around the meat everywhere. So if you have a little bit of oil, uh, you know, it's it's liquid, so it conforms to the bag, and you can get a like almost no extra air uh, in it. Anyway, I got real mad at the code consultant, which is stupid because I'm paying him. You know what I mean? But I was like, I just couldn't believe it that yet another nice thing was taken away from me. Uh, so now like the, the thing is, is that when the health inspector comes in, you have to rip open all your Ziplocs because then it's cool. Literally, I had an inspector tell me years ago that I was like, you're telling me that yes. I can put food in a freaking bag Keep it for X number of hours because they were allowing on HACCP for certain things. They were only allowing you 24 hours, right? This is way back in the day. It's gotten a lot better. I was like, you're literally telling me that I can take this food, bag it, cut it open, re-expose it to the atmosphere, bag it again, and you will say it's okay. She was like, yup. I was like, ugh. You know what I'm saying? Do you feel any of my pain? I feel all your pain. I just, I know, you know. The reason that they, the health department and ag and markets and USA loves us, they do whatever the hell they want us, they want us to do. Right. But, you know, if we have to prove the science, otherwise we will. But uh, it's, I mean, it's education it's goes a long too, way because we're not doing a lot of cooking right now. So we just keep it simple and we have um, control. They, but they gave us a hard time at first. There was an issue with whose jurisdiction it was right. and like the USDA not liking as far as the machines, machines themselves. Yeah. yeah. Because now, do you have to be USDA? If it's not going out of state. Can't you just do state? Yeah, we can. But you do US. Is it better? Um, I don't think anyone's better than the other one. USCA to me gives me more of a secure feeling that 
if and when we want to tra- uh, cross state lines, we don't have an issue with it. Right, cause, but there's a, it's a higher barrier to entry, right, USDA? Because why is it that all these producers like... We have in- one plant, ag and markets, we have one plant, USDA, and to be very honest, they both work under the same hours, they both work under the same paperwork and the same everything, not because they require it, because we require it. Right, you but know, is it the same person blessing it, or is it different people blessing different it? Different people blessing it. Yeah, I love the idea that come in blessing things. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned something that you love being taken away from you. Yes. One thing is coming back, and that is Nastasia's on her way. Oh, Nastasia's almost here? Yeah. Well, just in time for this to, the show to be over. I was like, I have a, so do you do any cooking? Do you guys do any cooking? We don't right now because we're building out another I mean, in plan life. for... Oh, yeah, sure. All right. You ever use a Cajachina? Because I have a Cajachina question. Yes, I've burned them to the ground before, yeah. Ooh, I like So that. many times. Yeah, okay, so, so, okay, so we'll handle the Cajachina question first. Okay, this from Trafton. Uh, hey, crew, I'm planning to grill a whole 40-pound lamb in a few weeks and wanted to get your thoughts on the best way to cook it. So a 40-pound lamb is what, about three feet long? Uh, Yeah, yeah. That Depends like on the, the length of bones and stuff like that, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's what most, like most... It's like small. A, it's small. Yeah. Like, it's small, but it's not a baby. A baby lamb is like 17, 20 pounds. Like a, a baby, baby lamb is 10. 10? Yeah. Really? I mean, yeah. the baby, like the Easter baby ones, but yeah, like a I mean, small. It's lamb. a yeah. Greek Easter. They use really small lambs, ten to fifteen pounders, uh, thirty pounders. Yeah, it just depends on what color. What's the price difference between goat and lamb these days for babies? Same. 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 Yeah. What do you like better? I love goat. Yeah. I love goat. Baby goat. Uh, any goat. Back right. when I was. Mark Ladner made a baby goat pasta dish once, and he didn't use pasta. He used the intestines of the baby goat because it was so milk fed, and the intestines themselves you turned them inside it was like eating ricotta cheese it was but he didn't did he do a greek style on a spit or he was no cooking? no no it's in a, in a pasta dish like just he made it in, like a substitute for pasta it was incredible i like that greek style intestine spit intestine thing i forget dave, what it's dave stay on target we gotta wrap up oh uh, so, so so wait so what are we talking about we're talking about oh kajachinas okay Kajin. so uh there so it's whole forty pound thing let me wait i had another question about meats wait, no that, not, dave you erased my brain <laughs> Not fair. I'll read the question. All right. Uh, so anyways, for 40 open- pound lamb in a few weeks. I wanted to get your thoughts on the best way to cook it. Open pit. Uh, well, I was like, I've looked into a few techniques and have settled. So he's already settled on this. So we have to recommend based on what he's settled on doing. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, I've settled on using, uh, well, I remember once goat used to be super cheap and I used to buy from my butcher. Remember Michael? I told you about Michael. He used to, because he, he would sell goat hacked up to like, you know, Jamaican style restaurants. Sure, cubed. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, but Dave, I'll cut the racks off of you and sell you the racks of goat at a good price. Mm -hmm. This is back when he used to, was giving me lamb belly for free before it became a thing. And for free, for free. Anyway, so then like, you know, he gave me the, uh, the, these like racks of goat and we would uh, low temp them and then flash fry those suckers. And they were, man, were they good. Rack of goat? Yes. Rack of goat, people. Rack of goat. All right, so back to Crafton. I've looked in a few techniques and have settled on using a cajachina. The game plan is to marinate it overnight and then cook it in the box, which is cajachina is like a box. You, and you, you, know, you put the meat into it and then you cook it from above, but it's sealed around with coals. It's, a, it's a thing. What? The coals are underneath, right? I thought they put them on top. They you, put them underneath and on top? The cajachinas, I thought it was the one where you layer oh, they do, it on they, top. They do, yeah, they do on top, sorry. Yeah. Can we phone a friend on this one? Uh, the game plan is to <laughs> marinate it overnight it. and cook it in the box for about three to four hours. The main downside is that you really can't adjust the heat. That is a downside. Yes. Although, remember, when you're cooking at high temperatures, like, you know, really, really, 
the meat is going to go up to like max temperature like fairly quickly. Uh, anyway, uh, can't adjust the heat once it gets going, so I'm worried I'll overcook the loins and the back legs. You will. Yes, you definitely will. Uh, Next. <laughs> I, I was thinking I could break down, cook those parts separately, and then cook the rest in the box. But I'm open to other ideas, and I was generally curious about how you would approach it. Thanks, and congrats on the bar opening, Trafton. Well, my two cents on this is you will definitely overcook those those parts of it. Uh, that's why people hack Only those things up. Only if you have a really hot fire, you can do a low fire the whole time. It'll be fun. Right. I mean, look, the fact of the matter is, like, uh, younger meat doesn't have, like, it's it's thinner anyway. You're counting on the fat and the connective tissue melting out to make the mouth feel and that kind of meat anyway, right? I mean, you're going to inherently, I mean, when you're doing those kind of long cooks, you're inherently going to overcook any, like, normal dry muscle, muscle fibers, right? I mean. Small animals cook faster. Small animals have less fat. Small animals are more delicate to cook. But if they're done correctly, they're, quote, unquote, tastier because they're softer, less connective tissue, less, if you would, surprises. Uh, a cajachina and the way it goes, I, I would suggest having a set of coals on the side, get something going, you know, check it in an hour or two. There's many cheap probes that you don't even necessarily have to stick in the, the lamb. You can leave her ambient temperature. But I would keep that temperature around 300 or 275 and just expect it to go a little longer. The reason that cajachinas work so well, uh, in my idea, is that they just cook pigs so freaking fast that you can get a 60, 80-pound pig done in less than three hours. I don't have a mental... Yeah, that's a good place to live. Wait, wait, wait. I don't have a mental picture of what lambskin tastes like. There's no skin on them because lambs that you would get are skinned. There's a lanolin film on the fat all the way around, but the skin itself is not like pork skin. It doesn't puff up. There's... There's no skin to it. They so, peel them. So hey, hey, they take the hides. this is important. This is an important point here. The whole point of the cajina is the crispy freaking skin. When you do pigs, cooking issues. Right, but my point is, my point is, be careful. Like, be careful. Like, you might, you might dry this sucker out because you, you don't have the fat in the skin. Fire before it dries out. No, the no. I mean the uh, the the baby the lamb. lamb the lamb. Isn't it? The lamb. Because he's not going to have the crispy skin. It has a lot of fat to it. Lambs in general are fattier than pigs, what I've seen. And the lanolin renders a certain way when you cook it and stuff like that. Just to make sure you don't have flare-ups. Because there's more flare-ups with lamb than pig. Remember, the cajun is going to separate the coal from the thing. It's using the radiant heat from above and then the retain... Then they, uh, I've the seen all heat. sorts yeah. of things. Okay. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. be careful. Good luck, Traft, and let us know how it works. I got answers, by the way, to your pickle questions next week. And Quinn wanted to know how hot the tubes can get in a in a nope. spins all. Nope. Real hot. All the way. <laughs> real hot. Like uh, almost boiling. Anyway, uh, that's cooking issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.